0: Hi, and welcome to the TSW Podcast, providing insight from thought leaders, success stories, and practical mental and physical tips to help you on your journey to recovery with your host, Claire Hart.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the TSW Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Hart. I'm really excited to bring this episode to you today. I'm talking to clinical nutritionist Jennifer Fugo, Jennifer is based in the US and you may recognize her name from the Healthy Skin Show podcast which she hosts. She's an expert in chronic skin rash and gut issues and Jennifer has many resources on her podcast discussing TSW with experts and sufferers so definitely check that out. So on today's episode, Jennifer shares her clinical experience of working with clients with TSW and skin rashes. She shares what she's learned from conversations with experts on her podcast, The Healthy Skin Show. And we talk through the many options for managing and supporting your body through TSW, as well as identifying and managing your original skin rash issue. We cover Jennifer's top tips for starting to build better skin resiliency now. And we talk about microbiome, supplements, nutrition, Medical industry awareness, the controversy around adaptogens and licorice root, and we also help bust some TSW myths. It's really important to give the caveat that we talk about, as I mentioned, uh, supplementation, and it's important to get tested, speak to an expert, and come up with an individual, personalized plan. It can be really tempting to just add supplements in based on generalized advice, um, and I am. Particularly good at doing that. So, definitely think about seeking some expert advice and not just from a clinical nutritionist, but ideally someone who does have expertise and is familiar with TSW. We link to all of Jennifer's resources from this podcast in the show notes, um, and there will be some details there on if you wanted to reach out to Jennifer and her team to do any of the testing for yourself and come up with a personalized plan. So I really hope this episode helps you on your journey to recovery. Um, It offers a really refreshingly different perspective on TSW healing. I personally took a lot away to apply to my own journey, particularly around circadian rhythm and recovering sleeping. So if you like it, Please do reach out to Jennifer. You can um, easily reach her on Jennifer Fugo on Instagram. Give her some love. And again, please subscribe if you enjoy the show, um, which really helps us with ratings. All right, take care. So, hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us on the TSW podcast. We're really excited to have this conversation with you today. So, tell me a little bit about you, Jennifer. So, obviously, you're a clinical integrative nutritionist. tell me what does that mean? What does that specialize in?
0: Basically, I got a master's degree in human nutrition. And at least in the United States, what it allows me to do is to review symptoms and complaints throughout the entire body, look at labs, and they could be different types of labs, like the regular conventional blood labs you get at your doctor's office, as well as more what are called functional labs. So like a stool test or a Um, mycotoxin test or these different nutrient panels and then blend that all together to help someone identify what might be the real key underlying disturbances that are then creating some of the other more I don't want to I don't want to minimize it by saying they're superficial (laughs) I don't want anyone to mistake because like if you get headaches you're gonna be like oh my headaches are bad they're not nothing Um, But there are sometimes it's not the headache that's the problem. It's something else under the system that's causing the headache or the gas or the tingling in your fingers and toes or whatever it may be. And so we're looking for that, that sort of like root cause combo. And we help people through diet, lifestyle changes and supplementation, which could include nutrients and herbs, come back into balance. Um, We're also able to help support people depending I think on one's experience and helping them advocate for themselves. My dad was a medical doctor and ophthalmic surgeon, and I worked for him for a long time. So I have a lot of experience working on the conventional side in medicine. And so I also understand that system and can help people advocate for themselves asking for certain tests or how do you phrase something to try to negotiate with maybe your doctor because uh, a lot of times people are afraid to say things so that i feel like the advocacy piece is also a part of it for me
1: mm, yeah absolutely and that's that's fascinating i think um i think being able to dip into um, a broader range of tools rather than just western but also then be able to navigate that conversation with western doctors is so important and i think particularly for the tsw community i think that's where we struggle sometimes is having open transparent conversations without being shut down quite quickly so I I I know you kind of you obviously didn't start out as a practitioner um and you were actually a patient yourself um so tell us about that tell us about your personal journey
0: yeah so um years ago I well so I'll be real quick with the beginning part of the story because it's not so pertinent to skin I will say that I struggled for a long long time with headaches diarrhea um I started in my I would say mid-20s getting a um a lot of bloating, feeling like just sick to my stomach all the time. I did get weird rashes across my cheeks and my nose that I discovered when I was around 28 that it was actually due to gluten. And so um, I had a pretty severe sensitivity, not allergy, but sensitivity to gluten, um, dairy, and chicken eggs. And in taking those out, that really drastically improved the quality of my health. But I didn't know much about what had really caused that. So for a long time, uh, and actually I'm still gluten-free to this day, but a long time I had just removed those foods and not thought much about it. And then when I went to grad school, so now I'm like throwing on another life stressor, that's when uh, I ended up starting to develop dyshidratic eczema on my hands, the palms of my hands. And I had no idea what it was. It just started looking like these little like, weird, almost clear beads under the skin. And then eventually they become itchy and they, it would get really red. And then they would kind of like burst open and then it would um, dry up and then it would get worse and it would spread and this vicious cycle would happen. And my dad, so I got lucky. I'm going to say this cause I recognized who's listening to the show. I got really lucky. My dad had no idea about TSW, but he did warn me to be very careful with topical steroids. And he told me to use them as sparingly and as little as possible. So if I, unless I really needed it, do not use it. And I, but he never went beyond that. I just knew from his office and his practice that you could develop issues with blood sugar, and you could develop cataracts. So you you end up with this like kind of like um, hardening of the uh, fluid that's inside of your eye um, inside the lens bag, and then you have to have that actually physically removed. There's no other way to get rid of cataracts that form. And so I was just familiar with that. I didn't really know much beyond that because that's what he dealt with. And when I went to the dermatologist, um, she didn't really have any other options for me other than topical steroids. And I think she gave me some Vanny cream and told me to then put, because my skin at that point, we were heading into the fall. And when fall would hit, my skin would just dry out like super dry, like paper. So every time I'd bend my fingers, you know, where anywhere there was a bend, it would break. It was so painful. So she's like, put Vaseline on the palms of your hands to keep the moisture in. And I was like, Aside from the fact that I have a cat, how practically do you think that that's going to work out? <laughs> you know, like it's like one of the most impractical suggestions. And so she didn't really have any other good suggestions. She didn't understand why I had it. There was, I don't know, maybe you, it's genes. You, you know, every that's what we get told. It's bad genes. And so eventually, it got so bad that my nails got really messed up. Um, I couldn't wash my hair anymore because I would still get water inside. The gloves that I would wear it became incredibly painful. And so eventually, um, what I, what I felt was hitting rock bottom. My husband encouraged me to you know say, "Look, you're going to school for this. Maybe you should look at this problem. Like you might look at somebody who's coming to you as a client." And I did a ton of research. I tried. All of the different salves and creams and everything i could buy online at whole foods which is like a really like fancy natural grocery store here in the united states i tried so many things and nothing worked it would like sometimes help a little bit but i really didn't know i was do like doing all these salves at night and putting my cotton gloves on and trying to like keep the moisture in and um eventually i just started to think a little bit differently about what was possibly driving my skin, but I really didn't know. I mean, I was still in grad school. I just didn't know. Um, After about a year, it finally started to subside. The flares got less and less, and my skin finally did clear. I have had a few resurgences of it, but the thing that I didn't realize and I didn't know at the time is there's a huge connection between the gut microbiome and what happens on the skin. And lo and behold, what I came to discover... I guess it was a couple years ago. I think, I I feel like things are a little bit of a blur because of COVID, so I don't always remember which year things were now, Um, but I think it was like, it must've been 2019, it was before my dad died. So it must've been maybe 2019 (laughs) Um, that I went to a gastroenterologist because I was having a lot of severe, what I thought were gallbladder attacks. And it turned out from doing a stool test that I had two infections. Um, that I wouldn't they would have never been picked up because they're not things that would normally have been picked up. And I didn't have like horrible gut symptoms other than this thing that looked like something was wrong with my gallbladder periodically. Um, And it turns out there was nothing wrong with my gallbladder. I just had two infections in my GI tract that were causing this weird reaction. And after that, the rashes stopped. So I will I, I think like it's so important. And I think this is where my my take on what is going on with skin has come from personal experience but also from my clinical experience that there are other things than just we don't know it's you know we obviously know we don't have a topical steroid like um deficiency like this is not something you normally should have to take if you have inflammation that's being driven from someplace else which oftentimes is the case it, it yes you can have inflammation from something going on on the top of the skin that's certainly possible but so often it's something internal that's showing up on the external as a sign or a symptom begging you to look deeper that if we just shut it off like we would like a check engine light of the car we're missing something deeper and so that's where I started digging and started the healthy skin show and where my practice has grown and whatnot so
1: yeah yeah incredible and I you know it's so true I think there is literally and it might, might be changing now at doctors. I, I don't know, but no real discussion as to what is driving this from the outset. Cause I, I, you know, I've mentioned it a couple of times now, but you know, I was, I was put on, um, steroids from three years old. So there was no conversation about, well, what was, what, what started here? Is it cow's milk? there's something else going on? Um, and I, I love what you mentioned as well about your dad kind of saying, you know, you really don't want to start using this unless you really have to. Um, And I actually, the only time I ever heard that was when I was talking to a doctor about coming off of topical steroids and they said, yeah, steroids aren't great. You really don't want to be using them. They're very strong. And I was like, well, why is this only coming now at the point that I'm stepping away from them? You know, it's, it's so critical that people know that they are not just, you know, a casual cream that you can apply. You've got to be quite thoughtful about using them. So how did, how did you first find out about TSW, Jennifer? How did that come on your radar?
0: Oh, um, that was probably, I'm trying to think. So the first season of the Healthy Skin show, it was around that time I stumbled across something on Instagram. And I'm trying to think, and I, I've been trying to think where I, it might've been through Abby Lie who does the eczema podcast, who's a good friend of mine. Um, I somehow stumbled across uh, Louise. Um, <laughs> everyone knows Louise. I know yeah. she was, she's was. she been on the show already. And um, I actually connected with Louise King and had her on the Healthy Skin show. And I started to listen and read and educate myself. And I realized that... There were possibly cases that I had worked on before this that were, I thought, and they thought, were severe eczema. And in hindsight, as I'm listening to this, I it, it took me back because I thought, I, on one hand, I felt bad because it's like, how did I miss this? But you can't miss something that you didn't know. Like, I had no idea what it was. I mean, frankly, it's something a doctor should see, you know, and pick up, but that's, we're not there right now. We're not there yet. Um, so I started to just learn more and more. And then I had a client who we struggled with a lot of things. She had a weird case. She couldn't keep her nutrient levels up. Her fatigue was just so severe. Um, and I said, you know, there's this uh, documentary, maybe you should look at it. Um, and it was the one from uh, preventable from Brianna Banos and she watched it and was like, I think this is me. And so this was the beginning of starting to look at cases through a different lens. So I've also worked, I want to be very clear. I think a lot of times eczema and TSW get linked, but I think it is important to hold space for other people who have skin issues that are not eczema. So I have worked with clients that have psoriasis that ended up with TSW. It happens. Um, And so it's changed how we evaluate what's going on because TSW at least in my view, and I'm happy to, you know, go anywhere you want with this, but in my view, and and some of my colleagues, TSW is a separate skin, it's a separate issue from the skin issue that got you there. And for some people who end up with TSW, like the mom who was applying the steroids to the baby, and she didn't even have rash issues in the first place, you know, it's it's separate. So if we just focus on the people who, and I'm not trying to like say that the mom who got it just from you know, applying topical steroids is not a part of this conversation, but for most people, they had a rash issue and they ended up here. Um, Or they had also had allergies. And so they were taking, using nasal steroids. And so there's a whole slew of steroids in the mix. They had prednisone shots. They had all sorts of stuff throughout the years. And they're, they're just, it's not one issue. It doesn't go from, for example, eczema to TSW you have eczema still, and now you have TSW. And I think it's a mistake to assume that the other problem doesn't exist, because then you're left with, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know where my flares are coming from. And I think to many degree, we don't fully understand TSW at this point in time. But it does, I think, to some degree, explain what can drag out the amount of time that it takes someone to go through the Process.
1: Yes, yes, completely agree. I think yeah, we're on the same same frame of mind. And I, you know, um, I think it it is interesting and something we don't really have stats on yet is how many people got put on topical steroids and then actually at the end of their withdrawal, really don't have any eczema anyway because eczema wasn't really mm-hmm. their problem to start with. A, a trigger was that gave them a, a, a rash. Um, but i think you're absolutely right we see some people in the community who you know are struggling years and years and years Seven, later eight, exactly yeah yep. yeah and and you know from my perspective stepping into this so i'm coming up to a year now um you know knowing that if that is could be typical steroid withdrawal it's really disheartening But also knowing, actually, maybe there is some root cause analysis I need to do about what is triggering this reaction in me and where is that inflammation coming from, you know, enables there to be another avenue for discussion and and investigation.
0: And I think one important thing to think of, and I know this might, um, it's not to dismiss where someone is, but you do have to think about what was going on in the period before tsw started so a lot of times i'll say okay i understand where your rashes are now but let's think back before this started even maybe go back to childhood like when you started having problems like go back to the beginning and all these different periods of time what were this and where were the rashes placed it is important um, because we use those as clues sometimes Um, we want to better understand the historical information that oftentimes you don't, you don't have the capacity to provide a doctor in like a 10 minute visit. And, and oftentimes, I mean, this happened to me. I had this like list of things. I was like, well, this is what happened and I'm gluten-free and da, 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 da. And she's like, okay, that's nice. And like, a <laughs> let me just see your skin. Like she didn't care about anything else. And so one thing for clients who come into my practice that it's a little weird for them is that we'll say, what happened here? Where did you travel? What did you do? And they're like, why is this important? I'm like, it's all important. It's historical information that helps us understand what's been going on with your health. It's why we want to see labs from the last two to three years, or if there's any that are significant, even prior to that, we want to see those. Because your system didn't just get here in a day. I mean, I guess some people like they could just wake up and break out in a huge rash. It happens. But most people did not. And so we want to understand the historical piece to help pinpoint, could it be that, you know, you were traveling somewhere, like, I've had a lot of clients who've traveled abroad. So they've gone to India or Thailand or something like that and they may not have even gotten sick when they were there it doesn't matter you can pick something up believe it or not and bring it back with you and with time it can Mm -hmm. slowly snowball but we want to know like oh you were in those places unfortunately you may have come in contact with contaminated food there's a greater risk for that unfortunately or contaminated Mm -hmm. fluids or whatever you were around Um, we want to understand different parts of even like your mom's history like moms, I have great respect. My mother is amazing. So this is in no way, shape or form a, a way of blaming mothers, but we pa- women pass along their microbiome to their children and we do the best we can. The my, whole like microbiome thing is very, I still feel like we know a lot, but it's still in an, its infancy in many regards but like nobody knew that in the seventies or the sixties or even in the eighties and the nineties, no one worried about that. And there's plenty of women who have struggled with yeast infections their entire life or had dysbiosis and didn't know it. How are you going to know? No one checked. You just don't know. And so we want to consider like, what was the health of mom, especially if when uh, rashes. So I don't, I don't work with young children and babies but i have colleagues who do and the one thing that they said is it is important to understand mom's health especially when a baby starts to have these issues at a very young age because Mm -hmm. it can be a sign there's certain things that can pass from mom to baby in breast milk like h pylori can pass unfortunately um and you're also taking that sort of like template of a microbiome from your mother Um, And so that can be one reason why we start to see these issues show up in young children and babies. Mm -hmm. So that's why historical data is really important. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. When you think about that sort of root cause analysis, and then you think actually you're just suppressing it with a steroid. Is that just teeing up potential problems, not only for your skin long term, but also then potentially other um autoimmune type disorders uh
0: possibly um i don't know if i've ever thought of it from um an autoimmune perspective like could you develop autoimmune conditions possibly um i look at inflammation a lot different now because there's so many medications that are targeted different things for skin problems and so my my associate and i spend a lot of time educating ourselves on <laughs> the information about drugs like i'm not pro or against medication i believe everyone's journey is their own i don't i think there's way too much gen uh, in general there's way too much judgment about what people choose to do it's your body it's your choice and at the end of the day it's your responsibility to be as informed as possible understanding the pros and cons and you make a decision from there but the one benefit of the drug companies having done all this research is that they'll say oh well you know Dupixent for example which is sometimes used and in, in TSW to help someone be able to cope better and be able to live a better quality of life as you're going through the process impacts two different cytokines. So cytokines are like chemical messengers in your body. And ultimately these cytokines are what produce inflammation. We can put that in air quotes because I think a lot of times we don't know what inflammation is. This is a general thing and so um dupixin specifically interacts or blocks il4 and il7 13. Uh, there's a lot with psoriasis there's a number of them that impact il17 so there's different they're called interleukons but you don't we don't have to go into that so anyway the point is that it just basically like shuts off or blocks these pathways so that way even though there's something still there so the root problem driving these issues is still present but we just shut off the check engine light so you no longer see it now there's pros and cons to that with some medications um i don't know i off the top of my head i don't know specifically with Dupixent, but there can be issues with like certain biologics that there's a risk of cancer there's a risk of other more serious like fungal infections and whatnot um, that can occur as a result Um, And so again, it's going in with eyes wide open. It's not to say that, look, you could just take the medication and go live your happy, merry life. And that's your business and your choice. I'm fine with whatever you choose to do as long as you made the choice that was best for yourself. But if you decide to do that, And you're like you know i don't want to be on this long term then you have to say well what was driving the inflammation in the first place and let's start digging in there to see if can i eventually wean off the medication without causing a huge flare which is possible and we have seen in my practice which is nice so um but yeah i think there's a lot of great research that's coming out now and especially as they're it's going to be interesting with the JAK inhibitors there's new JAK inhibitors that are coming out um, but there's some pretty serious side effects that go along with them. And I do work with people who've had cancer from some of these drugs. So like, don't assume that nobody, it doesn't happen to anyone. It can. I'm not saying it to scare anyone or to say, don't do it. You make the decision that's best for you, but mm. just go in with your eyes wide open, whatever you choose yeah, to do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I echo that. I mean, none of the, none of the drugs that I think have been presented to me as a intermediary way of kind of coping with TSW. Yeah, they're tough hardcore drugs um so i think you know absolutely doing your own research and also knowing how long do i want to do i really want to be on this and during that time if you decide to take it doing your own research as well to improve your skin barrier so when you come mm-hmm. off you're in a better state So Jennifer, if somebody came to see you who suspected that they had topical steroid addiction, how would you start working with them? And would you try and focus on what was the original root cause for their eczema or psoriasis? Or would you be focusing on what is triggering the biggest rashes that kick off topical steroid withdrawal?
0: I think it's both it's both so with tsw you have to go at a much slower pace depending on where someone is in the severity of it so that's the first thing is like okay if we believe that tsw isn't a factor here how severe is it if we believe that it's pretty significant what we usually will recommend is a hormone test like um the cortisol awakening response from dutch labs it's a um, i'm trying to think i think that one is just a saliva test i believe and so what it's looking at is the circadian rhythm, essentially. So your cortisol should start out like, like if you're looking at the peak of a mountain, it's like about halfway up the one side, it peaks mid morning, and then it slowly comes to slow, down the, the incline slowly to the evening. So you go to sleep, but what can happen with TSW is you don't get that peak. You don't get that initial response that cortisol response because the adrenal glands became dysregulated so just as an aside what happens with tsw is that uh, hydrocortisone is a man-made version of cortisol and as a result of you applying it or consuming any other types of steroids your body starts to go oh well i don't I don't need to make cortisol anymore because it's coming in. I have this exogenous form of it. So we're good. And your adrenals are like, well, you know, I'm just going to like punch out. I'll come back at some point, but like, you know, I'm good. Well, you take out. And and, and also too, I don't know if we entirely understand this full picture by the way as well. So I'm going to describe this as best as I understand it now and how it's been described to me by doctors who actually deal with hormones, but that essentially there's a feedback loop in the body that because you're adding in so much external cortisol, it just cuts, it stops that communication. The feedback loop breaks down. And so by the time you need the adrenals to come back online, they're still like on vacation and your body now is like freaking out. And it's trying to figure out what's going on and your immune system's going haywire because it doesn't, it has to completely reorient itself in this process. And that's where we don't know how long it takes. (laughs) There's no, we just don't know. No one knows. You could be in that that state for several months. You could be in it for years. It could ebb and flow. We just don't know. We're still, we don't have enough research. That's, that's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. And so when we see this flat line basically of the cortisol, it's, that's very problematic. And so what we wanna try to do is to reestablish that circadian rhythm, that feedback loop to say, hey body, you gotta start doing this again. It's really important. And I also believe to some degree, and I've seen in practice the benefits of also using some adaptogenic herbs to help even, so the body doesn't completely stop making all of its own cortisol like it does make some, but a lot of times it'll just deactivate it to cortisone. And so you can actually reactivate it, essentially like pushing it back the other way. Um, But there's a lot of controversy around that. People think that like you're adding in steroids, which you're not, you're basically taking your own hormone that's been deactivated and turning it back on, which is actually really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But so you want to evaluate that. But then on the other hand, you want to dig into what was the root cause? What was going on before? Because if you don't start also dealing with that in a very slow and i'm gonna i i really want to underscore and bold that word slow you cannot rush this you cannot be like i'm gonna do a cleanse i'm gonna power through this i'm gonna do this three month date. like don't do that your body's already struggling that is too hard too fast too much you don't like pile on all of these Antimicrobials and also you can't do that, so you have to find this really happy balance of getting that person or your your system back to a better state where it can find more resiliency and act as it's supposed to, but you have to support. You have to support the TSW side and you've got to slowly start working on the eczema or the seborrheic dermatitis or what the psoriasis or whatever that got you there in the first place. So it's mm-hmm. both, but it's a slower journey because mm-hmm. you're dealing with two separate issues.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, that makes perfect sense. I think um, it's interesting being a, somebody in topical steroid withdrawal, having always been able to fix issue immediately with steroids. So then there's an immediacy to, oh, I've got this going on, oh, let's get a reach for a steroid and that's fixed. It's overnight, I don't have to worry about it. But actually accepting this is a slow heal, and my body will get there, but I have to change my mindset about it. And then doing all that background work, you know, accepting that I need to also support my mental health as well, because this is not an easy journey. It, it can be really no. traumatic.
0: Absolutely. and And even without the TSW piece, whatever you had going on before was also traumatic. And now this is just a whole other layer of trauma that you know, I see in TSW groups, people will say, I'm like, when will this stop? Like I am hitting this breaking point that I never knew could happen. I've worked with clients who told me that they could bear everything except when their hair started to fall out. And that was like a, a low that they never thought they would get to and how much shame and embarrassment and pain and every, it just... It's hard. It's so hard. It is a hell. It is a level of hell that for, you know, and I personally don't know because I've never been in it, but I have held space for people and I have great empathy for people who are going through it because it is, and it's hard too, because then you go to the doctors and they're like, that's not real. That's not a thing. Stop Googling. And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's it is it's a lot of trauma
1: yeah yeah um and are you are you seeing in sort of the the circles that you operate in more awareness of topical steroid withdrawal and more acceptance of it or is it still you know you know relatively well known and well accepted
0: um i mean functional medicine doesn't know about topical steroid withdrawal they like frankly topical um Functional, the functional medicine institute doesn't really teach much about chronic skin issues. So they treat them usually like gut problems, which they, there is a piece, there usually is a piece of that, but it's not fully a gut problem. Um, But they don't, they'll treat, they'll, they would see TSW and be like, oh, you have severe eczema, you have severe whatever. Um, So there's no awareness of that. In the integrative circles that are a bit more progressive in terms of dermatology, I would say. There is some growing awareness. Um, you know, I have had some conversations with ITSAN about how can we start to infuse, like, who do I know <laughs> that we I could start connecting them with and trying to get some education into some of the more integrative-minded um, physicians. Um, but, like, Addie you days. know, I've, I've worked with a lot of people that, like, they went to see a clinical nutritionist or an RD who is like more functional and they had no idea and just like gave them this crazy, really difficult protocol, which made everything worse again, because your body can't handle mm-hmm. those stressors. And so it, yeah, it's not very well known. I mean, I, I have in doing my part, I have a number of episodes on the Healthy Skin Show specifically about TSW. Um, I've been trying my best to ask the questions that I recognize someone who's kind of in the patient camp doesn't have the ability or maybe knowledge or connections to maybe ask, which is why like, I've had Dr. Carrie Jones on to talk about the licorice controversy and all of these different things. Um, but I am in contact with other practitioners who also do believe in and help support people through TSW. And we're constantly having conversations about what's working, what's not, you know, could we find cre- other creative problems? Because I think it's incredibly important to reiterate, there is very little research. There are no official protocols out there to help people. This is all being creative and saying, well, if we understand this piece of the body and this thing is happening, how can we creatively support it? But that's where we are right now. We are in Mm -hmm. a big world of, we still don't know. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't mean for that to come across as like sounding hopeless. I think there is a lot of hope and there's a lot of progress, but We still don't know. Yeah, a lot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and what would you say? Because you know, I I spoke to um, the next episode that's coming out tomorrow is Luke Jacobsma, which um, he talks about his journey so far, and he saw a huge range of practitioners and had many different tests done. But kind of, what is in your opinion? What is some of the biggest mistakes that alternative-minded practitioners? make when they're tackling chronic skin conditions
0: the first thing is as i mentioned about functional doctors is treating it like it's a gut problem second of all i am way more aggressive with how i look at and view uh, like stool testing and other labs with chronic skin issues than i am with gut issues because you'll usually see gut issues improve a lot faster with a lot less intervention um with skin issues, that's not the case. It's longer. There's usually more things that you have to address that you normally would ignore, if it was a gut problem, because it doesn't. It won't probably like you'd get you'd get better faster, and you'd be like, oh, well, I'm good. This is great. We don't have to deal with these other things. Let's just throw the probiotics at it and some leaky gut powder, and we'll call it a day. You can't do that with skin issues. Um, I also think too that there is this idea that. Some of the more traditional things like evening primrose oil and supplementing orally with hyaluronic acid and whatnot. I haven't seen any person who has clinically seen or felt any improvement with any of the stuff that I have read online um, at all. So... (laughs) I'm just, I'm, I'm being honest. I hope nobody shoots the messenger. No, uh, I just haven't seen it work. Yeah, And I think that's one of the biggest problems is that we're just doing things the same old, same old, not thinking like we have new knowledge. Let's try to connect dots. There's new research mm-hmm. out there. Let's try to connect dots. Um, and also treating all skin issues as if they're the same and they're not there. There yeah. is overlap. I, I will say that um, it doesn't matter. Like, Oh, I have numular eczema versus I have decidroitic eczema. I think we get sometimes a little too caught up in the weeds with that. (laughs) Like, yes, you have eczema, but let's actually look for what's driving it in the first place. So we'll go from there. But the same goes for a lot of the chronic skin issues. There is there is a good amount of steps that overlap between all of them, but then there's nuances between like the liver issues and metabolic issues that we'll see in psoriasis that you may not see in eczema. Um, the liver issues tend to be different with eczema, um, whereas with seborrheic dermatitis or dandruff, you're looking for probably at a bigger fungal problem um, straight out the gate. So again there's there's overlap and then there's the nuance layer up at top Mm, and mm -hmm. and and because none of that is taught and for all of us who are in this little we're not in a group together but the practitioners that I know like we all had to kind of figure it out ourselves there is no training there is
1: nothing yeah
0: to get us here
1: it's kind of it's um it's it must also be slightly exciting in a way though it's kind of you know something that hasn't yet properly been studied and all the answers are there it is you know an ability to start having a bit of a sleuth around and find what is the process what could be the protocol that would work for the majority of people doing this
0: Um, i love it mm. i do love it and um i mean for crying out loud i i'm like 200 i think i'm going to be at episode 229 next week (laughs) from the recording this Uh like 200 like i have had over six hundred thousand downloads of my podcast so clearly there's interest there's so much new research coming out um i think there's so much we're gonna see change over the next probably five to ten years i wish it was now but i i think one important thing to like just be clear about and your you had mentioned earlier this like common frustration that many of us have like you go to the doctors and they just give us the steroid the steroids the first the first suggestion um it's the, the standard of care dictates that and when people look at a textbook that that information is usually out of date by the time it's published and it takes like 10 years for research to make it into the the, um, office, like the,
1: the, mm-hmm. the, the mainstream.
0: The, yep. Yeah. And so unfortunately there's just such a lag. There's doctors who are afraid also of not mm. doing what's considered the standard of care in the United States. You can lose your license if someone reports you. Yeah. And so I, I, I do feel for them on one hand, I think there is this I think we like it to be black and white, but Mm. I think there's a lot of gray and that makes it complicated. Um, and it complicates it for everyone. I recognize it doesn't, it doesn't really serve the people who are suffering the most right now. Um, but that's why I hoped, you know, it's great when I have a dermatologist, like literally a dermatologist approach me and like that, this is what happened. I was at a conference (laughs) in October and I had, dermatologists run up to me and go my gosh I love your show I'm having a fangirl moment and I was like hi (laughs) but they listen they listen to the healthy skin show
1: fantastic
0: it it it, that's why to me I was like I have to have this information here because whether there's a, a person who's suffering with a rash or TSW or whatever listening or it's an actual provider who maybe with time they're gonna go Hmm, let me learn more about this and they become really interested Mm. i thought let me do what i can you know and that's what you're doing you're doing what you can to help connect people with other ways of thinking about their problems rather than just you're doomed yeah because it's really easy to think you're doomed yeah
1: yeah exactly so talk to me about um in your experience jennifer kind of what are the biggest causes for skin irritations um, and an eczema and psoriasis, what should things, would, people think about?
0: Yeah, I would say the biggest things are there's six. So I look at it as a 16 root cause problem, Um, And I talk about this on the Healthy Skin Show. I have a graphic that I usually post up periodically on Instagram as a result of that. But basically you're looking for inflammation that usually is starting someplace else outside of the skin. So yes, you can have dysbiosis on the skin. So an imbalance of microbes, certainly possible. That's the case when we have infections like a staph infection, strep infection, pseudomonas infection. But beyond that, then what? You know, we just blame allergies. What if somebody has no allergies? How many people listening to this have probably had full panels of allergy testing and the doctor's like, I don't know what to tell you. You're fine. There's no allergies. And you're like, (laughs) that's very common. (laughs) (laughs) Right. What's wrong with me then? Um, And so yes, allergies can be one facet, but not everybody has those. Diet can certainly play a role here, but there are plenty of people who've seen no benefit to changing their diet, no matter how quote unquote clean it is. There are some people whose skin gets worse changing their diet to a healthier diet. It happens. Don't believe everybody that you just clean up your diet and it magically goes away. That is, There is plenty of folks I work with who, whose skin issues are basically like diet resistant, essentially. Um, so, And then I was saying about microbiome issues. You can have microbiome issues in the gut, in the mouth, um that you can have microbiome issues throughout the body so for example you can have like parasitic issues don't necessarily stay in your gi tract. sometimes those buggers move it's as horrifying Mm -hmm. as that is to hear um you can have hidden infections in your mouth so root canals can hide infections crowns can hide infections and you're just swallowing all the waste products and the bacteria or whatever it is that's down into the the jaw bone and the tissue surrounding that dead tooth you're swallowing that all the time um and then obviously there's the potential skin imbalances um but you can also have mitochondrial dysfunction that um, mitochondria are the little power plants of every cell, which is really, really important, by the way, to anyone who has TSW, you cannot just say it's a hormone problem. It's not because your mitochondria also take a really big hit in this entire process. So you do have to look at what is generating energy and how do we sustain that energy? Your adrenals don't make energy. Your adrenals are like, if you're the mom in this scenario and you have like a six-year-old, and, you, you know, they, you give them a little allowance and you go to the candy store and your child's like, oh, I want to spend my allowance. And you're like, no, honey, just like 10 cents, you know, whatever, a dollar, one dollar. You can spend a dollar of your ten dollars or whatever it is. So you're the person deciding how much of the money or energy you're going to use and expend. But it doesn't make the energy. The mitochondria do. And for mitochondria to make energy, they can become damaged due to various stressors, but they also require a lot of nutrients. And it is incredibly frequent with people who have TSW to have pretty messed up nutrient stores. And it also, and I don't know why, can be difficult to get them to refill in a normal time frame that you would see with somebody who is not in a state of TSW. I don't know if it's because the use of those nutrients is just being burned through faster I don't I don't know but don't be surprised if it take it seems to take you a longer period of time to say replete vitamin B12 or folate or something like that Um, And it also may require higher therapeutic doses. And you should, if you're going beyond the normal levels, you really should work with someone to make sure that you're not over-supplementing and that you're being safe. And you're also having your levels checked regularly, like maybe every two to three months to see where you're at, to gauge whether that therapeutic level of supplementation is appropriate. So mitochondrial issues, you can have um, environmental exposures. Uh, Things like mold, for example, can be a problem, other chemicals in the environment. Um, My goodness. And then obviously there's other hormonal issues. The thyroid is a huge piece, looking at your thyroid levels, making sure that your thyroid is working appropriately and is doing everything it's supposed to do. Um, I mean, it's just, there's so many different avenues to go down this road. And then also looking at stress and trauma. I do think, I know that for some people that feels very woo-woo, but there is a lot of research showing that stress and trauma do impact our ability to not only be resilient, but also, and I don't know the exact connection, so I'm not going to claim to be an expert in trauma by any stretch of the imagination, but there is research with different skin issues and whatnot showing that past traumas can impact and maybe be part of the trigger. That And, and how exactly that is, I don't know. Mm. Um, but I do think it's worthwhile to think, like, like I, I lived in New York City during 9-11. That was extremely traumatic for me. So... And that play a role? I have no idea. But everybody's traumas are different. Um, and trauma work does take a long time. Is it worth it to do? Yes. But you have to be ready to do it. And you have to be ready to be consistent mm. about dealing with it. But stress is a huge factor. Um, and using different tools, like whether it's mindfulness, meditation, there's mindfulness-based stress reduction Um that you can learn that technique through usually a lot of universities will offer it. And now they're doing it online because of COVID. So that's very accessible. Um, so there's just the mental health piece is really important.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if, you, if somebody wanted to kind of start to understand which one of these kind of impacted or which combination of these factors is impacting their skin now in TSW, but also as a root cause what kind of um, tests would you recommend or, or blood tests people could go through
0: yeah so normal blood labs that you can get through your doctor are actually really helpful it's how they're looked at and read i will clarify so you know i'm sure many people have the experience that they don't feel well and the doctor's like you look great your labs look great and you're like what <laughs> i don't feel great um, so it does depend, like the way that I was trained and many of like the functional nutrition folks and whatnot, there's a different range. There's an optimal range that's tighter, that's smaller. So there's that. Um, there, so there's a lot of blood labs. So like a CBC panel can be very helpful. So it's looking at the blood cells. Um, always a fasted CMP or comprehensive metabolic panel looking at like kidney function, liver function. Um, You always go fasted for that, which means no drinking, anything other than water, no eating, and no exercising eight hours before you go to the lab. You don't want those levels disturbed. Um, And then looking at possibly a full iron panel, vitamin B12, vitamin D. I also, if they'll do it, I love vitamin A as well because it's so integral with the skin, the thyroid, and even the GI tract. possibly looking at homocysteine although a lot of times they may give pushback on testing at least insurance for paying for that um trying to think uh, and and if you can get minerals tested via blood like zinc or magnesium for example you do want to opt for the red blood cell or erythrocyte version if it's just if it just says zinc or serum zinc those are not the right, um, it's not the right way to look at the minerals. So it's basically what's going on in the blood. We want to look at what's inside the cell because ultimately the cell, the, uh, cellularly, that's what the cell has available to use. And so, for example, in research that I looked at in, in looking at like um, correlating zinc levels with um, skin barrier function and dry skin and, and, and eczema, um, serum zinc is not the greatest they, they, you could see low levels of serum zinc, but it's actually better, co- uh, correlated with the red blood cell or erythrocyte zinc from a nutritional standpoint. It's mm-hmm. just a lot more helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and your analysis can be helpful too, to just ch- also check and see, is there any infection, Do you have a UTI? It happens, Um, or there could be bacteria living there that you don't even realize. You don't necessarily have any symptoms but are hiding there. And then I would say beyond that, a comprehensive stool test. It's not a stool test that you would get through your local lab, through a GP, or anything like that. It's something that most likely you'd probably have to pay out of pocket for. Um, Most, not all countries can get access to them, but a lot can now more and more. Um, I use the GI map a lot in my clinical practice. Um, and it looks at not only your current microbiome, but also what other organisms are living there, looks at, looking for fungal organisms, parasites, opportunistic bacteria, various pathogens, viruses, and other factors that impact the inflammation and the immune system inside the GI tract, which is really important since mm. these issues can actually trigger those cytokines those those messengers we talked about earlier right and we're like where is it coming from well it can come from issues within the gi track wow. so okay. um i would start there and then if someone you know so with dutch they have different panels they have the dutch plus that includes sex hormones melatonin it's a much bigger panel and it has some organic acids with it but if you if it's too much for you to afford or it's really it may not be necessary for somebody with TSW initially the cortisol awakening response test mm-hmm. is at least looking at again that circadian rhythm to see where you're at. Is your body able to produce cortisone and then Mm -hmm. or cortisol? And then is it being converted to cortisone? Mm -hmm. Which is that other big big factor.
1: Yeah, fascinating. Okay. And if somebody wanted to get all of these tests done and work with a practitioner such as yourself, um, you know, could that be international? So if somebody wanted to connect with you, Jennifer, and, and kind of do the tests in the UK and then have a conversation, is that possible?
0: Yes. I work with clients all over the world believe it or not i've had clients as far as uh singapore i we have one client that's in brunei we have clients in australia new zealand the uk uh europe um i've had clients mexico's tricky and india's tricky you can't get a lot of stuff and there's restrictions with supplements and different herbs unfortunately Mm -hmm. especially in mexico Um, so there's a few countries where it is hard but yeah we work with a lot of international clients who are really looking for help um, because they just simply don't have somebody local who understands skin issues yeah
1: perfect okay so we'll put a link in the show notes to um, find out where to get in contact with you and obviously the podcast as well Um, so Jennifer you know coconut oil is one of the biggest recommendations (laughs) for people going through TSW all those kind helpful people who are ask if we've tried it what are your thoughts on that i know you've kind of got a perspective on whether it's helpful or not
0: yeah i don't i don't think it's as helpful as people say it is um i think for i especially think for probably tsw i wouldn't know for sure because i mean a lot of times people are just like they're so far they've already tried coconut oil i just don't think it's it's all that helpful especially if eczema was they're in their past uh, or was a part of their picture um, before TSW because, um, A, there's a lot more allergies to coconut now because it's in so many foods. Uh, and it's also, you know, online, they're like, slather yourself with coconut oil. It's so rejuvenating. It's the best thing ever for your skin. And in reality, it's very antimicrobial, which could be a problem for some individuals and could set their skin up for dis- a dysbiosis, right? Where it wipes out the good healthy strains that are helping to like hold down the fort, (laughs) the bouncers of the club, so to speak, and allows those opportunistic organisms to have their way with that um, particular area. It also is not absorbed very well uh, that's another problem. It usually stays on top of the skin. So it's, mm-hmm. you're not going to get moisturized from mm-hmm, coconut oil. Mm-hmm. I have heard from some individuals who have psoriasis, they do find it helpful, you know, and so that's fine. If it seems to work better for some individuals with psoriasis, great. Um, on occasion, I'll use it topically or recommend it topically, like if somebody's really dealing with like fungal issues but um, like on their skin, but um, we usually just don't recommend it all that often. And we often also don't really recommend it to be cooked in endlessly for like, put it in your protein shake, add it, like cook with it on the stovetop, put it in everything you make um, because excess amounts of coconut oil can, uh, for some people who have a very dysbiotic uh, gut microbiome can result in the production of something called lipopolysaccharides or lps and lps are endotoxins right so now we're producing that's what endo means self 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 a self-produced toxin so to speak by your microbiome Mm. by gram negative bacteria like e coli um and that can be very inflammatory. And you can actually link in research. Like if you look up endotoxins and cardiovascular disease, endotoxins and this, you'll find a lot of research on that. And so unfortunately, this is that I'm not saying it's toxic. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not here to mm. demonize. I'm just saying like mix up. Moderation. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like use some olive oil, use some avocado oil, you you know, like mix up variety Mm. is wonderful. And especially when you're in TSW, it can be really tricky because when you're really sensitive and you react to a lot of different things, you have people telling you, oh, you have to eat this way. You have to take out all these foods and you have to get rid of this inflammatory stuff and you have to do the... Well, you might not tolerate them at whatever point you're at, your body might be like, no. So you're just going to force your body to eat something that it cannot tolerate. So try to find as much variety as humanly possible in your diet. Um, You know, does that mean like you should go to a fast food chain and eat lots of sugar? No, I think we should try our best. I like to say like, 85% of the time to 90% of the time you eat as um, I don't want to use the word clean because I feel like it's there's a lot of connotations associated with Mm -hmm. negative connotations try to eat foods that you understand so you know that are as unprocessed as possible but what's also within your uh, budget what's in, like, I understand some people, they're busy moms. They were, they have to work. They may not have a partner. They're raising kids like they have to try and get food on the table. It's important to make sure to nourish yourself, do what you can and forgive yourself, give yourself grace to not hold judgment about what you don't feel you can really bring to the table in any given time. Just make sure you eat, you nourish yourself as best as possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep yep that makes perfect sense we, we we hear a lot in the tsw community as well about kind of avoiding high nitric oxide foods um and that's linked to kind of uh, minimizing dilation of blood vessels obviously all of this stuff everybody's but like is that right is that true um what's your opinion on that um and generally what kind of foods would you say well oh, look if if you're feeling inflammatory at this point maybe avoid that sort of thing
0: So this is a slippery slope question. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you because you can, I, we could have a really nice in-depth conversation about why strawberries are bad for you or why spinach is bad for you or why watermelon's bad for you or avocado is bad for you and it's inflammatory. So this, this has become a really slippery slope where we're always looking to take out the food that we perceive to be the problem. And actually what I believe is that, yes, there are certain times when maybe certain foods are bothering you and you can tell that from yourself. You're like, you know what? I like for me, I was eating fats at one point, like just like avocado and whatnot. And I started to get like a lot of discomfort in that gallbladder. Right. This was going back to my thing of how I had these gut infections. And so I was like, all right, I kind of got to cut the fats out a little bit and I got to take a digestive enzyme. And I did the things to try to figure out how I could not go low fat because then you're missing fat soluble nutrients. But the other piece to this is that you're blaming food. And it may not be a food problem and that creates a negative relationship in your mind with food and you blame food you start to fear food and unfortunately I work with individuals who have whittled themselves down to eating. Like five foods a day and some who've been hospitalized because they whittled their diet down so much. Because they thought for, because I read this book and this person said this is inflammatory and this is toxic and this is with pesticides and this and that and the other, that they ended up so nutrient depleted that they were in the hospital as a result of that. And I think it's something that's not discussed enough. These issues will not simply go away because you get to the other side of your skin issue or TSW or whatever. This is a long-term, extremely problematic um, almost like a habit that we create for ourselves. And it's, it's, I would almost argue kind of dangerous. So I'm not saying don't worry about, you know, high nitric oxide foods. I, I just think we have to be careful. I, I
1: mm. mm-hmm. The yeah.
0: consequences of trying to bring foods back in when you're terrified of them. And like, I'm not even talking about like going to a fast food restaurant, like just like blueberries Mm. is so bad. And no one on the Facebook groups tell you about that. No one discusses that Mm. and Mm -hmm. that disruption. I mean, you didn't go into having, no one signed up for this whole journey going, Oh, at the end, I'm just going to trade it or swap it for an eating disorder. (laughs) It happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just want to, I think that's where I just want to hold space is letting people have that freedom to play with their diet, do what you feel is right, but be very cautious about how you describe foods. Be careful in this idea of of calling them toxic or inflammatory or whatever, because you imprint in your mind that that's bad for you, that Mm -hmm. that's responsible for your bad feelings. If look, you generally are like, you know what? It's just not working for me right now. And that's okay. That's fine. Leave it at that. I'll try it out again in maybe a month or two, cool, awesome, but when we fixate on these things, that's where mm. we start getting into a really dangerous pattern, yeah, with our relationship with food.
1: yeah, that's amazing to hear I think you do particularly in t s w because it's such an awful condition to go through. You are what is it? what exactly is it making making this worse at the current time, and yeah, can start fearing foods, like even lemon I've got to the point of. Fearing having lemon on stuff, and it's like, no, I used to love that. I used to really enjoy having a bit of squeezed lemon on my salad. Um, and fundamentally, you know, that is not going to make or break my my TSW.
0: No, not at all. And I think the other thing I can just share clinically is that I have not seen one particular diet be magical for TSW. It and and that includes carnivore, that includes going vegan, it includes low salicylate, low oxalate, <laughs> no sugar. i've seen so many variations and iterations even the eczema diet and this that and the other there is no one thing i i think we have to be very cautious in who we take you know and when people are encouraging you and i see this this is why my one big one of my biggest criticisms of functional medicine is the reliance of blaming or the over-reliance of saying food can fix you and so Uh, i've had a lot of tsw clients who were seeing like a functional practitioner locally and they're like oh i want you to go like all plant-based and i'm like you're so nutrient depleted how are Mm -hmm. you supposed to get these nutrients like what and they're afraid and then because of that they get confused and then they're afraid to eat things that are off that list i just don't i think we have to look at the bigger picture we 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 have to be careful and we as practitioners for anyone who's listening to this, if you're a practitioner, you have to think five steps ahead of the person that you're working with. What is the potential consequence of removing foods from their diet or making them see on this food sensitivity panel that they're all red? It doesn't go away. No. It cements it, a negative association in their head with food and that it's just the food's fault. Mm-hmm. And that's a really dangerous spot. So, yeah. okay, I'll get off my soapbox. No, now. I
1: love it. Thank you so much <laughs> for that. <laughs> Talking about the skin microbiome and the gut microbiome, tell me about how that communication works. Microbiome type things to put on your skin. What are your thoughts about those products?
0: So the the topical probiotics, you mean? Yeah. So, okay, so I, I'm not an expert on topical stuff. I'm going to say that right flat out. That's why I, I, a lot of times I'll have like Rachel Pontillo come on my show. And so what she has shared with me is that a lot of the topical probiotics that are out there are, they're probably making bigger promises than they can deliver. A lot of them actually are dead organisms. So they're actually considered postbiotics. Now it's <laughs> not to say that that's, bad they can have um certain benefits but there is also i know in britain um i think it was oh i don't want to say the company because i don't remember it was a big company got in a lot of trouble for a probiotic cream mm. they it, i think it was like some eczema probiotic cream for babies and they had to pull it from the market because they were making claims about it in the in regards to the probiotics that they claimed were in it um, and we're starting to see the FDA, I believe, from what Rachel has said, like in the United States, start to look, start to, to do a side eye at some of this. So I think we're going to start to see a lot more regulation about these. Um, it's not to say that there's no benefit in shifting the microbiome topically, but I think that there's, I think there's, there's probably a lot more hype right now than there is actual um benefits and I, I i think we have to be careful like you know a, a product like um skin smart that's sold in the u.s which is hypochlorous acid like that obviously doesn't have any probiotics in it but it can help shift the microbiome so mm. can we use other things to possibly help depending on the circumstance yeah so yeah okay
1: great tip thank you i have a huge array of supplements jennifer and then you may not be able to give you know any recommendations but if somebody was coming to you they were going through topical steroid withdrawal what would be kind of some things to think about from a supplementation perspective
0: so the first thing i would say is that we want to make sure to support phase two liver detox so we're looking at the glycine pathway and the glutathione pathway which is really important because your body has to not only deal with its normal functions but it also has to deal with the waste that oftentimes is coming as a result of the microbiome so bugs produce waste just like we do and it has to be processed through phase two liver detox and so that's why i oftentimes recommend glycine powder and in case anyone asks it's Yes, it's in collagen, but I tend to find that people do better when they supplement it on its own. So that would be something that's really important to, um, to get like just a canister of it. And you could do anywhere from like three to five grams. If you're really struggling, I would probably say you might want to do it like twice a day. Um, From there, vitamin B6 can be really helpful. And um, while I can't give like higher dose recommends because you can over, you can like way overdo it with B6, it's not something that you just pee out. Uh, Usually 10 to 15 milligrams a day. So look at all your like multis and other things because it may be in other things that you're taking before you go and buy a supplement. Um, And then from there, I would definitely say, So uh, we were talking about the mitochondria and right, the mitochondria, your little power plants are really important. So CoQ10 can be incredibly helpful, though I will acknowledge it's an expensive supplement. Um, There are some mitochondrial formulas out there that can be helpful, but you also have to be careful of the B12 amounts. Some formulas have very therapeutic high doses of that. And if you already have high B12, which does happen for some individuals, those might not be the best. And that's where you wanna get help um, figuring out what formula may be best for you. So like CoQ10 is a really easy thing to do, possibly maybe a B complex of some sort. Um, If you're just like, well, I wanna support the mitochondria, but I'm not sure how. Um, Vitamin D is always a good thing. But if you are supplementing with vitamin D, you want to mix vitamin D and K together and also supplement with magnesium at the same time. Not not in like you have to take them at the same time, but you have to take them. Like if you're supplementing with D, your body needs magnesium in order to utilize D correctly. And it needs magnesium for a lot of things. So the right form of magnesium. In terms of, I would say... TSW specific. So I find that cordyceps, which is a medicinal mushroom, can be really helpful. Like really helpful. Um, like it could be something where like, and again, I, I'm just being, I just want everyone to like, you have your own sensitivities, your own allergies. You have to decide if this is right for you. You also have to be careful if you're on immunosuppressants, anything that's like an herb um, there are a lot of no-nos with adaptogens and, like cyclosporin, for example. So you have, like, again, you got to talk to your doctor if you're not sure. Work with somebody to figure this out. But cordyceps can be incredibly helpful. Sometimes taken just first thing in the morning, or maybe also taken in the afternoon, or maybe you just need it in the afternoon if you're really struggling. Um, that can be helpful with energy, and it's not something you're gonna like take and notice that day. It may take a few weeks of taking it before you start to notice it. And this is also just by the way, I should specify these things I'm suggesting are not like you took one bottle and you're done. You are, this is a part of your regimen. Um, so there's that. Yeah. The other thing I'll suggest, and again, this is the, I guess the controversial piece is I actually think licorice root can be helpful for a lot of people. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for that. <laughs> um, but Like from a biochemical standpoint, it is not a steroid. Mm -hmm. It's not. It literally just (laughs) helps your body take your deactivated cortisol, which is cortisone, and turns it back to cortisol. So it's like literally your own stuff, which is great that you have it available. So why not utilize it? So I have one client that I met with the other night. For our session, I hadn't talked to her in a couple of months. And you could see on her symptom tracker, as soon as she started adding in the licorice root and the cordyceps, she noticed she went from like, so we track people on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the worst, one being a non existent problem. So her fatigue level went from like an eight, and then over the course of like two to three weeks, dropped to a three. Wow. And now she's like just hanging out at a two, and she's like, I can get up. I can do things. I can make it through work. I'm not crashing at the end of the day. I have so much more energy. I feel like myself, like this has made, and and it's helping her too with her circadian rhythm also, oh, amazing. because it's about reestablishing the circadian rhythm. So I think for anybody who has fear and look, again, you have to look at this stuff, but I think you got to be careful reading things that are not based on actual, like, what does this do? I've got two episodes on the healthy skin show with Dr. Carrie Jones, where we go through licorice root, what it does break down all the questions, all the fears everybody has. And then we talk about adaptogens and concerns with that and about whether they're steroids or not. So those are two really great episodes that are based on biochemistry and she's a hormone she's she's got a massive that's her background is in hormones so um i would just highly suggest somebody but if you're gonna do licorice just understand that it can impact your blood pressure um and you really probably should be cautious with how much you take you you usually only take it once a day in the morning um and you should probably probably work with somebody (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you're not taking too much um because again even though they're herbs, even though they're natural, they can also have negative side effects as well. Everything does, whether it's natural or pharmaceutical. Everything has pros and cons. Um, but I think it's worthwhile considering. Um, mm, absolutely. If it brings relief.
1: Definitely. And, and how would you take those quadriceps and... Quadriceps, is that
0: right? Quadriceps. Yes, quadriceps is <laughs> taken as a capsule. It's, the, capsule. it's just a okay. powder. Um, okay. Some, you can also find some functional foods they're called like they'll they're adding cordyceps to teas and Mm -hmm. to coffee and to other things so you may be able to look and find something that you could just test out instead of like going out and buying a supplement say you know what I'm going to try this cordyceps tea and see how I do with it um I would just tell you this for those who say like oh well I tried this and I like had a huge TSW flare so you don't always know if it was that particular thing that's causing the flare or it's how it interacted with your body and your microbiome. That's where mm. this gets, this is gray. Um, and you could be at a stage where your immune system is still really, again, mixed up because that's part of what TSW is. And in that moment, it's just like, That whatever that substance is or food that came in, it's like, whoa, whoa, I I don't I don't like that.
1: Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So I I think that's the thing we have to be cautious of is is there can be factors that make this confusing. And I, I so appreciate how frustrating that is. Um, but I just want people to not be so afraid of everything. And it's hard when you're in the midst of feeling like your body's so out of control to not just revert back to self-protection mode. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, so ideally do the tests work with a practitioner who's familiar with all of these different things and then and, and start work, supplementing. Who's,
0: who's familiar with TSW. I'm going to be honest. Um, a lot. I don't have a lot of colleagues who are. No. Yeah. Um, There are. There are. um, uh, The. They're dermatologic acupuncturists. Um, that are familiar with TSW. Uh, Olivia, Dr. Olivia Friedman, who's been on my show and Abby Lai's show, she's wonderful. She's a lot of experience working with Chinese herbs and helping support people with TSW. But again, it's not just TSW, there's this other piece to mm-hmm. it what, too. What What was there before is still there.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. So what I'll do is in the show notes also link to the specific podcasts that you've referenced where you talk about TSW, so it's easy for everybody to find. If there were sort of three things that you would say to the listeners that they can start doing right now to rebuild healthier skin, what would they be?
0: From a TSW perspective, it's a little complicated, but I would say, number one, working on stress reduction. And it might just be doing breathing exercises for two or five minutes a day. Um, again, this is like a free thing. And I know it's that you just have to do it. <laughs> but it, this is about rebuilding resiliency and reminding yourself, your body, your mind that you are safe. And so anything that you can do, whether it's some meditation and whatnot, is really, really important. The second thing is, again, I had said this before, please eat as diverse of a diet as humanly possible. Um, Get out of this mindset that you have to eliminate all of these things in order to get better. If you do have to eliminate things, don't look at them as bad. Say, well, what would that tell me when someone has to take out, like, for example, all meat products and they go, oh, my skin did a lot better when I went vegan or I went fully plant-based. My first thought is, well, it sounds like you might not have enough stomach acid. Do you have H. pylori? Do you have other infections that are actually negatively interacting with the meat and animal products? And no one Mm -hmm. thinks to even consider that a lot of times. Um, You know, The flip side is with carnivore, could you have bacteria that are interacting negatively with the fiber? Uh, that are in plant foods. So think about it from that perspective rather than just the foods being good or bad. But the more diverse your diet is, the more nutrients you're getting in and the more diverse of the microbiome you can support um, because we we do need to some degree at all. I know that we could all have a conversation deeper about that, but I think it's better to have a diverse diet than less diversity. Um, And the last thing I will say... I really wish that I could say, get sleep. Like everyone would laugh at me because sleep is one of the most challenging pieces to this. So I think like a simple thing you can do is, you know, again, it's about that circadian rhythm. Um, Try your best to have some consistency in your schedule, uh, especially with when you're going to bed, when you're, getting up in the morning, I know like that could like really look very different for many different people. Um, If you can, in the morning, find a window where there is sunlight and let the sunlight hit your face and spend five, 10 minutes standing there. If you can't go outside because like right now it's freezing cold out. Um, For me, where I live, I'm probably not going to go outside, but getting the sunlight on the face is really important to help set the circadian rhythm. Remember, your circadian rhythm is incredibly messed up. And so you have to start to reestablish it. You have to create that pattern for your body, that rhythm. If you're able to afford it, red light therapy can be helpful, both for the mitochondria, just don't do it late in the day. Do not do red light therapy late in the day. That's something that's good for the morning, Um, and you know it can be very helpful for skin turnover, for mitochondrial function, and whatnot. Um, And you could get a unit. There's different companies that sell them, and it's usually like a one-time expense. If that's not feasible, some plate like salons and spas and gyms and things might even have some sort of red light option now. But if you can't afford it, that's totally fine. It's not like you're doomed without it. Um, But that's where I would start is thinking about what you can do to create more peace in your life to help rebuild that sense of resiliency. Um, And just one last thought, uh, I think it's important to be careful getting caught up in thinking that everything is just one way. Again, we are no one knows the right way you guys might come back three years and listen to this again and go oh that's not right that's not right we just don't know we're still in a space where we are learning and um you know I, I I do think yes it's time but I don't think time's the only factor here that's where I know there's different camps and I think to just say it's just time to some if you say that to somebody who's eight years into TSW that's that at that point feels like a real slap in the face So we do have to acknowledge that maybe there's more things going on here. We want to keep an open mind. We want to question, like, what else could possibly be at play? We want to look at research. We want to look at biochemistry. And you want to be careful when you go and do your research that you don't look at chemical names of components and herbs and go, oh, that's a steroid adaptogens are not steroids, even though a steroid might be in the name. And so that's where you might want to find somebody who's a little more knowledgeable than you. And that's okay. Look, I, I ask people who are more knowledgeable than me all the time for help, right? That's what the Healthy Skin Show is about, is connecting those individuals and really look for the different opinions and the different thoughts, and then start to think critically yourself and and ultimately make choices that are best for you. Not what everybody else does. Do what is best for you. Mm. I think that's the most important thing.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. That was amazing. Um, It's really interesting. I completely agree that something that's super powerful that comes out of this horrendous journey is getting to know yourself better I'm really becoming in tune with oh how do I feel when x happens or how does it feel if I have this combination of things or I moisturize or I take a bath or suddenly you become really intuitive um and that's you know a, a, in its own right a really special journey to go on. So Jennifer oh, that was so incredibly amazing I've taken so many notes for my own own reference um and obviously we'll populate the show notes with with all the links but where can people go if they want to find more about you or connect with you um, and more about your work?
0: Uh, so I would say they could visit me at skinterrupt.com or healthyskinshow.com. Obviously there's the Healthy Skin Show podcast. And if you search into the search engine um, or you put into the search engine uh, TSW or topical started withdrawal, all of the episodes that we've discussed it on will pop up. Um And then Instagram, I'm on Instagram every day sharing different things. And even though it might not seem TSW specific, like I said, there's really two separate and maybe three. Sometimes people had one or two or three different skin conditions going on beforehand. There are other things going on just than just TSW. So there's plenty for you to learn from on there that I share. And um, I just wish everyone the best on their journey. I know there are many very difficult days probably behind you and possibly ahead of you again. And just know that your family and your friends love you. And there are people who are looking into this and who are trying our best to rally for you and help to change this and um, bring more awareness and, and, and help you find a better way through. And I wish we could fast forward five years, but We're doing the best we can today. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me, Claire. Oh my God, my
1: pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. I really appreciate it.